You're listening to Everybody Pulls the Tarp, the go-to podcast for high performers. I'm Andrew Moses. Each week, you'll hear my thought-provoking conversations with Olympians, pro athletes, CEOs, elite coaches, best-selling authors, and other high performers to uncover their secrets to success. Get ready to be inspired each week when we talk about leadership, teamwork, work ethic, and more. Are you ready? Let's go. My guest today, everybody, is Rob Angel, the one and only Rob Angel, creator of Pictionary and the author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Game Changer. Welcome to the show, Rob. How are you doing? Doing great, Andrew. How are you today? I am doing well. I'm doing even better because we're getting to talk about an absolutely fantastic story. So you have to take me back to the mid-1980s. You're a waiter in Seattle, and you come up with the idea for arguably the most iconic board game in history, Pictionary. How did you come up with the idea? How did you create Pictionary? Let's start there. Uh, <laughs> that's a, well, it's a longer story, but... Uh... I was a typical 22-year-old. I just graduated from college. You know, I was trying out things. I didn't have a real plan. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I always uh, knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. That was really about it. I didn't know what it looked like. And so I was, as I call it, I was open and aware. When my opportunity came, I was going to take it. And I moved in with three buddies, 22 years old, crappy little house, sharing rent. And one day, my roommate said, hey, you want to play a game? I learned at college, raids on paper. Sure. I don't know what it meant. I didn't know my life was going to change. Life's not full of Shark Tank moments. It was like, whatever. Get off the couch. And we start sketching words out of the dictionary. I mean, really, that's it. But then we did it the next night and the next night. And it just was this fun, right? It was just this overpowering having fun. And so the light bulb kind of went on. It was like, maybe I could turn this fun into a board game, right? If I can share the energy that we're having here with other people, I think I have a business. I want to go back to what you said there. So open and aware. I thought that was really interesting. So were you always open and aware or was that you know a quality that you needed to develop? Because every right. entrepreneur I talk to says, you just never know when that great idea is going to hit you. You just kind of have to navigate life and let things come to you some way. Talk about that for a minute. Well, the way I look at it, I, no, I've always been open, open to new experiences, open to meeting new people, open to not judging those experiences. That's the thing, right? We think we know, or I think I know something or know somebody, so I don't get to meet them. Well, I'm always just kind of experimenting with life. And so it's a matter of let your life be free flowing. And that's how I've always been. But I'm also aware enough and present enough. When an opportunity, and it could be as simple as meeting somebody, having a new glass of wine, right? It doesn't have to be monumental, but it's this philosophy of just taking opportunities as they come. And if they don't work, that's great. I always say, Rob, you know, there's no bad book to read. There's no bad meeting to take, right? You know, if you kind of are predisposed to say yes and take chances, meet new people, yeah. read new things, learn new stuff you increase the probability that you're going to have success, that you're going to run across things that are going to make you more productive and more effective. I, I guess that's what you're saying there. Well, yeah, absolutely. Life is synchronicity. Life is random events that just kind of add up. 
That's a McConaughey's book, Matthew McConaughey's book, Greenlight. The same thing. You just have these experiences in life and they just keep adding up and planting seeds and getting you to where you're supposed to be and where you want to be. And so by the more of those seeds, if you will, that you plant, better your chance of success. Rob, what drew you to entrepreneurship initially, right? Because obviously you're sitting in that apartment, you're playing a board game, yeah. your mind is working. You're thinking, okay, I want to shit. What drew you to entrepreneurship? My dad got fired. So when I was a kid, I wanted to meet my dad. He was a businessman, an executive. He ran a company in town and he was like the big man. I thought, okay, I want to be an executive like my dad. Well, he gets fired and that was devastating. It was like a gut punch. Like, like Tyson was like, no, wait a minute. All my dreams of being him are shattered. And so I'm not going to let anybody else have sway over me. I want to be my own boss. If I fail, that's okay. That's on me. If I succeed, even better, but that's on me. And so being an entrepreneur just came naturally. It wasn't even a, a huge switch. It wasn't like, oh, well, what do I do now? It was like, I think really it was the way I was supposed to be in the first place. I think maybe I was kind of fooling myself that I wanted to be an executive. Didn't really resonate. Just this experimentation, this being open, creating, you know, all those kind of things really just excited me. And so entrepreneurship was a natural progression, just the way it was. What's interesting to me is when I think back on the start of my career, I started, I came out of college with an accounting degree. I took a fairly traditional approach. I said, okay, What's a major that's going to pretty much guarantee I can get a job out of college? And, right. and everybody said accounting. So I, I get the accounting degree. I start working on the CPA license and I'm heavily recruited. Like I went to Penn State and I'm heavily recruited by like most of the accounting students at Penn State to go to a big four accounting firm, to go to one of the biggest, you know, one of the four sure. big firms in the country. And you're heavily recruited, 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 come, come, come. So I start the job. I'm about 15 months in. And due to some of the changes in the economic conditions, I get laid off like, like a bunch of other folks. And from that moment, I think there were two things that I started to do differently as I took ownership of my life and my career personally and professionally. I started to read more and kind of invest in my own kind of personal kind of out of the classroom, if you will, education, right? Just read you know, news articles, started subscribing to newspaper, multiple newspapers, blogs, reading any book I could get my hands on about different range of topics. And then I started to invest time and energy to build a network so that I had a network whenever I needed it. And what's been interesting to me about the network is, and I think we were kind of hitting on this a little bit a few minutes ago, but you meet someone and you just don't know when that person is going to you know, impact your life or your business or, (laughs) or, or something in some way. But if you take enough action and you have good intentions, right? And I always say, I want to be a net giver. I want to give more than I receive. I go into every interaction thinking about how I can give as opposed to how I can take. And then things kind of work out for everybody. And, and those were two things I think that were pretty fundamental for me. Interesting to hear you talk about there. So now you're in the apartment. You've got all these words written on a, on a legal pad. You're thinking about how you can share this with the world. How do you go from kind of notepad game with your buddies to actually something that's you know, commercialized that you can sell. That was, you know, the old value proposition. You know, what, do you, what am I trying to offer? And I wanted to package that fun. I had no experience, right? Most people like myself was a completely different industry. So I was waiting tables and all of a sudden now I want to create a game. So it was, sorry, my camera's kind of falling down. I was wondering what was going on there. 
And so I broke it down to its simplest part because I was overwhelmed, right? It's a mystery. Everything's a mystery when you're starting a new business. I'd never been an entrepreneur. I just kind of wanted to be one. So putting a game together, the marketing plan, the business plans, manufacturing, it's like, I don't know how to do all that. So I kind of procrastinated. The fear, not the fear of the unknown, but you know, the fear and the mystery of what it all entailed. So I broke it down to its simplest parts, which was making the word list. It was easy. It was simple. It was all right there in front of me as well. I didn't have to overthink it. Had a paper, a dictionary, and a pencil. I went in the backyard and I'm, I'm going, okay, here I go. And now this is two and a half years after I discovered Pictionary because I'd procrastinated for quite a while. And I opened it up. And the first word I see that made sense was aardvark. It was it. So I write down the word aardvark. Now, roommates, they think I'm insane because I'm kind of really jumping around the backyard. I'm all excited because I wrote down nine letters, simple word, aardvark. That was it. But then I'm thinking to myself, how is it so hard? Originally, it was like three years to get started. Now it's like one word. I've started. I'm no longer a waiter because I was waiting tables. Now I'm a game inventor because of one silly word. And then I wrote a second word. Well, three years to write the first, 30 seconds to write the second word. So the ball had gotten rolling. I was pushing the ball downhill now. And it just snowballed from there. And that's all it took was that first silly, simple step. You hear that so often, right? I talk to elite coaches, professional athletes, Olympians. Sometimes getting started is half the battle. And when you're in motion, it's a lot easier to stay in motion. What do you think was kind of holding you up? I mean, just fear of the idea not being as good as you thought it was, not having time. What was it? No, wasn't that dramatic. I mean, fear of the unknown and fear of failure. Nah, that was it. I was lazy. I was waiting for the, the aha moment, right? I knew the words were important and I didn't figure out how to put them into the game. I couldn't put a dictionary, pads of paper. But I, I mean, honestly, I didn't really research it. I went to Europe. I hung out. I was enjoying my life. But getting back to that being aware, when the moment came, I was ready for it. And one day, I had Trivial Pursuit, and I opened up the Trivial Pursuit game. And I looked at the Trivial Pursuit card, and there was a question on it, and I turned it over, and there's the answer. And by the time I turned the card back over, I go, holy shit, I put the words on cards. I mean, this was it. This was the moment. This was that aha moment where... I had to take action. No more procrastinating, no more messing around with it. And that's when I went in the backyard when I saw this card. And that was the moment that crystallized everything. And I was ready for it. Oh, man, I was ready for that moment. When does somebody actually buy the first Pictionary game? So like, when do you have your first customer from there? So it took us another, uh, or it took me another about 14 months to put the first game physically together by hand. In my apartment, right? My two partners and I. Uh, I had an appointment with the buyer at the University of Washington bookstore. Made the sale, but I was not prepared, right? I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know the order form. But my enthusiasm was off the charts, right? I was going to convince this woman, no matter what, she was going to buy this game. And she did. And that broke the dam. And then I would go, man... Our alternative distribution was outside of the box. Now it's disruption. Well, I figured we're selling fun. We're not selling a game. Well, let's see. Where can you sell fun? Anywhere. I would go to a real estate company 
hey, you should have a picture game on the counter when somebody looks at your house. Sure, they took six. Getting the pencil out where people didn't usually see the game got us for where we were. It's interesting. You know, you, now, like you say, it's everybody, the buzzwords, disruption. You know, there's this new philosophy, or not a new philosophy, but this philosophy that when you're growing something, when you're scaling something, you do things that don't scale. You do things that you couldn't possibly do when you're selling millions of board games. I mean, this show, you and I have talked about it, Rob. This show is called Everybody Pulls the Tarp. And it's based upon a philosophy that I have that great teams, great organizations, great businesses are built by people who do unexpected things. And it all goes back for me about 17 years ago to my first internship. I was working in minor league baseball. And on the first day, I thought I was going to learn the business of sports. And they tell me, it's great to have you here, Andrew. But tomorrow, you got to bring an old pair of clothes, put them in the locker room. You're going to help the grounds crew pull the tarp on and off the field. And you know, just to kind of wrap the story there, my listeners have heard this a ton, but it was, kind of took me aback. And I said, okay, this is interesting. But it set in motion for me this mindset that there was never going to be any task beneath me. There was never going to be a task too small if it was important, right? If you think about it, if the grounds crew in the minor leagues, which are much smaller than their big league counterparts, don't have enough extra hands to help pull this very complicated thing to protect the field, there's no game. There's no business right. in, in a minor league community. So everybody has to pull the tarp. And that's this, this right. mantra that I've lived by. And sometimes pulling the tarp is doing things that you just can't possibly envision yourself doing because they seem small, they seem menial, they seem right. insignificant. But when you're building something, you have to be willing to do everything, right? Well, yeah, it's the nature of the beast. I had two partners and our job descriptions were never defined. I mean, we knew Terry was going to do the accounting and, and be the CEO. And I was doing marketing and sales. Gears do graphics. We all had our defined roles. But you have to do everything to make that business succeed. And the biggest thing is take your ego out of that equation. Because when ego gets in, that's beneath me. That's below me. That's not my job. I didn't come up with that. That's when creativity stops. That's when your growth stops. That's when everybody starts pulling back. You just got to be open, as we talked about earlier, to everything, to contributing everything and to accepting everything. And clearly not everything's going to work. That's fun. That's part of experimenting. But you really have to be on mission, be on point. And when that happens, that's when free-flowing ideas start. And quite frankly, that's when the job gets done. That's when the tarp gets pulled. Otherwise, you know, you got to rain out. How do you deal with the failures, right? So you're going from door to door, real estate office to real estate office, bookstore to bookstore. There must have been some rejection. How do you take the rejection? Well, maybe there wasn't, Rob. I don't know. Was this a flyaway? A flyaway How do you deal with rejection at that stage? Or is, just, is your passion and enthusiasm just so high for this product that you're just not phased by it? Oh, there was obviously a little bit of that. I mean, you're just, when you're starting out an adventure, uh, venture, nothing can slow you down. That's just, just the way it works. But I always knew going in, there was the potential for not getting a successful sale. And then, you know, the mindset is you go in and you take, don't take no for an answer and you make sure it works well. That's a lot of energy for me. So yeah, I did my best to get the sale. I didn't walk away immediately, but my energy was only so much. So I knew there would be rejection. So instead of taking it personal, didn't take it personally. It was like, it wasn't a good fit for them. Move on to the next. 
there's always going to be disappointment. There's always going to be problems in your business. There's always going to be problems with your relationships and your partners and everything else. But knowing that there's going to be problems, that's half the battle. So you can't control those problems. The facts don't change. They didn't want to buy the game. Nothing I could do could change that. So the facts were the same. It's how I responded. And I chose to respond positively with, okay, your loss, I'm moving on to the next. And it just kept me going. And production issues, same thing. I didn't take rejection personally. That is so interesting, right? The, the ability to kind of compartmentalize different situations, the ability to resist taking something personally. I think one of the most challenging things for people to navigate, interesting to hear you, you talk about that, Rob, right? Because it's the right mindset. Somebody doesn't want to buy a Pictionary. Well, you know what? 38 million people did. So you were doing <laughs> something right. I guess that has to be the, the mindset. So Rob, well, to be honest with you, though, that was a learned process. There was a lot of energy wasted on when we doing the first thousand games, we had car production problems. And it was like my first reaction is I'll bet you the printer who was supposed to give me these cards was sitting in his office in the morning going, how can I screw up Rob today? How can I make Rob's day terrible? Well, clearly he didn't, but that's how I took it. Well, that was a huge lesson because that was a big problem that we overcame. My partners and I overcame, but I learned don't take it personally. So it was a hard fought lesson. Other than experience, was there something that helped you learn to overcome that? Yeah, I think, I think it was just within me to do that. And when it is, though, like I said, it's a practice thing. Everything I talk about, everything you talk about is learned and practiced. So when I finally decided I'm not going to take it personally, it took me a few calls. It wasn't like, okay, because I'm not strong enough mentally. I don't think most of us are. My mindset now is I'm not going to take it personally. Well, without practice, without daily habits, as they say, or meditation, whatever it is, doesn't matter. You have to keep practicing. That's when it becomes real. It was like the Pictionary game when, or the word list. I wrote that first word, hardware. My mindset was I've gone from waiter to game inventor. Well, reality was by the second word, I was back to being a waiter. But I kept going. And every day I would write another 10 words. So after three months of constant reminder that I was a game inventor, that's when it sunk in. So don't give up. It's not a one-time shot. Whatever you do, give yourself a break. I give you permission to give yourself a break. Don't take everything so seriously. Practice at it. I talked to a best-selling author once who told me, Andrew, it took me eight years to become an overnight success. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, People think in Pictionary, I woke up one day, invented a game, and sold it for a lot of money and retired. 17 years. I worked at Pictionary for 17 years. There's no shortcut to success. Sorry. I think that is one of the best pieces of advice you could give anybody, Rob. So let's go from we, you create the first thousand games. When is, when is it, for all intents and purposes, take off? When would you say you kind of had that inflection point where it really started to move a bit? Within Seattle in 1985, almost immediately, because we worked our butts off to market and sell it, but we did a joint venture licensing deal so we could scale. So uh, by 1980, we started 85, by 87, two years later, we had sold 3 million games. So the inflection point came very quickly, and it was because we had a superior, a superior product, 
Pictionary was really a great product. And I tell the story where I knew we'd be, we're going to be successful is a, I knew we were on our way. A waitress was waiting on me and she goes, I heard you invented Pictionary. And I said, yes. And she started to cry. And I go, what's going on? And she tells me the story. She was a foster child and parents bring her home and the two, three kids didn't, didn't accept her. She was shy and quiet. Well, they bring out a game of Pictionary. And she plays and she's really good at drawing. All of a sudden her confidence builds and she's starting to get excited. And now the kids want to hang out with her. Now they're playing Pictionary. And it was all because of this silly, stupid game that I invented. And that was the moment I realized the power of Pictionary and it was going to continue. It was going to be a success because that was my original intention, wasn't it? We had a game people would like. That was the moment. You said it best earlier, Rob, right? You weren't selling a game. You were selling fun. And what you found out there is, right, you were selling community. You were selling confidence. You were selling people coming together. Just incredible. As you're navigating that thousand to three million, you know, proverbial little guy in a big industry that's probably cutthroat people and there's big elephants in the room. How do you navigate people who don't have great intentions and are trying to squash the little guy at the time? (laughs) You mean like every big game company? Uh, yeah, they, they knocked, maybe. Yeah, sure. Of course, they knocked us off, ripped us off. We had a licensing deal with Milton Bradley, and before we did the joint venture, they put a contract in front of me at 26 years old. I could have made five million bucks. It was the biggest contract they'd ever given independent game company ever. I could have retired. I was off in the Bahamas. I had a second home. I had an expensive car. But the one thing they didn't have in the contract is they didn't agree to put in, they wouldn't touch the packaging, which meant they could mess with the product without our approval. We knew it was best for picture, but they had agreed to do it earlier, but they wouldn't put it in writing. That was the moment where I learned integrity for me is most important to do any deal. So anybody we ever deal with, they had to have integrity, be a man of the word. Hasbro wasn't at that moment. So we didn't sign the deal. I went back to waiting tables to shipping the game the next morning out of my apartment so I could live up to my standards. And that's how I operated. And so when anybody tried to screw me, anybody tried to do business with me, if they didn't have that quality, forget it. And that's what got me through. And that's why I'm a success. That's why my business was a success. Well, they say people with integrity can kind of sniff out people who have integrity and people who don't have integrity. I mean, did it take getting burned a few times to kind of figure out, you know, who the right people were? Or did you just have that spidey sense like you just described there? Something's off here. Yeah, I, I had the spidey sense. So here's the deal, right? It is follow your intuition. That spidey sense. We all have it, right? We know what's authentic to us. So it's not complicated. Now doing it is the complicated part. There was a guy that I wanted to hire to be our sales manager early on. Something just told me it wasn't right, but we needed somebody. I overrode my brain, overrode my heart and my gut, and it was not a good hire. And that was the lesson. You know, we didn't, we dodged a bullet. Nothing bad happened. It was short term, but you got to go with your gut. The more you do, the more, uh, the less problems you'll have. Well, you said earlier, Rob, uh, there's no shortcuts to success. You know, a lot of times the right thing is the hardest thing. It's the right thing is the longest path. The best case scenario is the thing that's going to require the most work. I think that's something that's consistent in almost any business or any aspect of life. 
Rob, this has been so much fun. Before I let you go, I want to ask you one question that I ask you know a lot of the guests on this show. And the question is, do you think your work ethic and your determination and your relentless kind of focus on achieving your dreams, do you think that's something that you're born with or something that you develop over time? I've changed my tune on that. I used to think you're born with it. You are a doer or you're a worker bee. I didn't think the two ever meshed, but I think now you can train that muscle because of necessity. You said, you know, you had to pull the tarp. Sometimes with COVID and everything else that's going on right now, people are forced to change and to adapt. Terrible times, but that's okay. So I think people now have the capability, the understanding, you know, the wherewithal. If they really want it, they can make it happen. So I think now anybody can be an entrepreneur and anybody can also be a worker bee, meaning they could be the president of a company, which is a great job. So I think they're more made as is much more now. Anybody can accomplish anything they put their mind to, Rob. You have sure yeah. pulled the tarp and had an impact on millions. And most importantly, thank you for creating millions, millions and millions upon millions of hours of fun, community and time with friends and family, people all over the world. 60 plus countries, 38 million and counting Pictionary games sold. An amazing story for a guy who started at his apartment with a legal pad and the word aardvark. Incredible, incredible journey, Rob. Thank you for joining Everybody Pulls the Tarp and keep doing your thing. All right. Take care. Thanks, Andrew. It was great. Thank you for joining me this week. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you can catch all of our upcoming episodes. And if you are like me and want a world full of tarp pullers, then leave a review to help others find us. You can also follow me on Instagram at andrewmoses123 and sign up for my monthly email newsletter at everybodypullsthetarp.com slash newsletter. I'll share tips and insights to help you achieve maximum success and happiness. Today is a great day to pull the tarp. I am rooting for you. See you next time.